Thanks, Tim. All right. See you All right, in a I'll bit. See, I'll see you in a little bit. Okay. Tim's going to come back in just a little bit because last week I got a little long. <laughs> it's funny when you don't have people in front of you and you don't have a timer. You can just, preachers can go on and on. So we're in Ephesians. We're starting a new sermon series. I hope you have your Bible. Um, and again, I just want to tell you when I was a brand new Christian, I'd been a Christian, I think, three or four weeks. I only knew one person that was really walking with Jesus and God sent a medical student who said, hey, do you want to study the Bible? And I'm like, hey, I'm a new Christian. Sure. He said, let's go to the book of Ephesians. And in hindsight, I think that was such a brilliant choice of his because Ephesians really talks about how to live the Christian life. And uh, it's a very accessible book. So I would encourage you guys to hang with us all six weeks. First of all, let's just hit the high facts. Who's writing it? Well, some scholars debate it, but for me, St. Paul wrote it. Uh, St. Paul wrote it, and most people think while he was in prison around the date of, it was around 60 AD, um, he was writing to uh, the saints or the church in Ephesus, which is actually in modern day Turkey. Turkey, Turkey, right. And also Ephesians was one of the uh, letters to the seven churches in Revelation. So if you want to go to uh, Revelation, you can read the letters to the seven churches, see what he wrote to the church of Ephesus. But anyway, Paul's writing, it's around 60 AD. Paul's in prison, clearly getting the idea that he may be martyred. Um, And again, what's the purpose? Uh, One, to share the redeeming work of of Christ, the redeeming work of Christ. Number two, the unity of the church among diverse peoples. And boy, that'll preach today, right? So Ephesians, big picture, high altitude. We're looking at the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. Number two, the unity of of the church among diverse peoples. That is so key. Thank you, Lord, for bringing that at this time. Also, proper conduct in the church, the home, and the world. Like, how do we live as Christians? How do we live for Christ? Okay, so that's the introduction. I want you guys to grab your Bibles, and we're going to look at the uh, first couple verses. So it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. It's interesting, as we get into predestination and election, what we find out is that Paul was predestined. Um, it, Paul did nothing to win sonship uh, or the Lord's favor. In fact, he was killing the Christians. And, and the Lord actually blinded him, knocked him down, blinded him. And Paul looks up to the God he thought he was serving. And he says, who are you, Lord? Like, in other words, I'm, I'm very religious. I'm serving God. But he didn't even know God. So it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints. That means to those who are God's people, those who are set apart uh, as God's children, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, that's normally how they open. Paul would open a letter. And do, do, do you ever get this on your phone where you open your, your phone and maybe it hadn't locked into the Wi-Fi or something, and as you're pulling up your text messages, instead of having names on those messages, all it has is numbers, and you're like, I have no idea who's writing me. And in the old days, we had that with letters. Somebody at church, we'd get these long letters, usually handwritten, about eight pages, single-spaced. And before I would read all eight pages, usually talking about the New World Order and all these other crazy things people write about, um, I would skim down through the eight pages and see, hey, who's writing this? And so it's so great here as they begin these letters that they say, hey, Paul's writing this, and I'm writing it to you, the church in Ephesus. But here's what we want to pick up in verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
In other words, this is mind-blowing, friends. It, Paul, who's having a pretty tough life, and if you don't, don't realize that, go read what he, when he talks about his own sufferings. He had the uh, 40 lashes minus one. He was stoned in the city. He was stoned in the country. He was hungry. He was shipwrecked. I mean, on and on and on, all these terrible things that happened to Paul. He's now in prison, and what comes out of his mouth? You know, they say when you're in a time of uh, duress or a time of suffering or a time where control is being taken away, um, when you're squeezed, what is inside comes out. When you're squeezed by the pressures of things going on, what's really inside your heart comes out. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so what we see Paul saying, uh, this man who had suffered much and will suffer more, but was currently in prison, the first thing out of his mouth is, Lord, thank you. Blessed be your name. God, you are holy. You are good. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. In other words, instead of complaining, what he's doing is he's thanking the Lord. Friends, that is instructive. That's a sermon right there. We could stop the message right there. Blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Okay, so the first thing I want you to see is a, a condition or a heart condition of thanks and praise in spite of hard circumstances. Okay, the second thing I want you to see is how Trinitarian uh, Ephesians chapter 1 is. Well, what does that mean, Trinitarian? That means the historic teaching of the church from the scriptures is that Hero Israel, the Lord your God is one. So there's not three gods, there's one God. And yet, as you read the scriptures, even though the word Trinity does not appear there, the concept is there from the beginning, even in Genesis, where you see the Father, you see the Son, and you see the Spirit of God brooding and hovering. Okay, so you see co-eternally, co-God, you see Father, you see Son, you see Holy Spirit. So you see the Trinity there. You see it at the baptism of Jesus. The Father is there. He says, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. You see Jesus in the waters of baptism, and you see the Holy Spirit coming down. And so in this passage, what you want to say is when you look at Ephesians, uh, the first couple verses are clearly talking about God the Father. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He chose us. And it goes on and talks about him. Then in the next verses, usually uh, verses like 4, 5, 6, and 7, it is focusing, or actually through verse 11, sorry. It, it's talking about Christ, Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of God. So you talk about the Father. Now we're talking about the Son, God the Son. And they keep using this phrase, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. And then as we go down to the bottom in verse thir uh, verses 13 through 14, we start hearing Paul bring in, God, the Holy Spirit. So starts with Father, starts with the Son, Jesus, and all of the need to be in Christ. And then he talks about the Holy Spirit, how we're given the Holy Spirit as a promise. It's a guarantee of our inheritance. And so that I really wanted you to see that. Now, let's break that down for a second. Very few people, very few people debate um, wh whether God is Father. Um, I mean, certainly there are some like hardcore feminists who don't believe God's father. Uh, but I would say they're certainly not reading that in scripture. But the, the average person, the average person, if you said, do you believe God's father? And they'd be like, sure, yeah, I believe, I believe in the man upstairs. So very few people have a problem with that. But where it gets wiggy and where cults usually enter in 
is looking at the nature of God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And so I just want to take you real quickly to just a couple passages where we see that, that God is, uh, Jesus is God. He's not, he's not simply a prophet. He's not simply a, a good man. He is, in fact, God. John 1 says this, In the beginning, like when it was all starting, in the beginning there already was the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Drum roll, please. And the Word was God. Repeat that. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Wow. Um, also, we see Jesus using many of the I am statements. But anyway, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 8.58, uh, Jesus specifically says, I am. When they asked him who he was, he, he refers to himself as the I am, just as he had in many of his teachings, which says, I am the gate, I am the door, I am the good shepherd. All the Jews would clearly know when Jesus said, I am, he was claiming to be God and nothing less than God. Remember when Moses came and said, God, who should I tell the people has, has, has sent me? And he says, and what's your name? And he says, I am. Tell him I am sent you. And so clearly we see from John 1, from the I am passages, we see in John 10, Jesus said, and this could not be any clearer, he said, the Father and I are one. The Father and I are one. And, and finally, just to talk about the deity of Jesus, the, that he's fully God and fully man, we go to Hebrews 1. And it says in Hebrews 1 that, that Jesus, the Son, is the radiance, the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint, the exact thumbprint of his nature. And again, we could go deeper, but what I'm trying to show you is most everybody believes God is Father, uh, and you can prove that from Scripture. But today we're focusing on God the Son, and we saw that in those passages. But how do we know that God is the Holy Spirit? How do you know? Again, Quig, you reference Genesis and the creation. You reference the baptism of Jesus where you see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But if, if you just want to make it uh, go to one particular verse that shows it as clearly as possible, you go to the story of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. And you know how they sold their land and they were going to bring all the money and put it at the, the feet of the uh, apostles. But Ananias lied about it and God struck him dead. And so then his wife, Sapphira, comes, and she's, she's maintaining the same lie. She's maintaining that they had given all the money from the sale of their property. And, and then she was questioned on that, and she lied just like her husband. And so the apostle said, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. You've not lied to men, but to God. And so clearly in Acts 5, the Holy Spirit is God. So friends, that's just a very quick overview. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Okay, so Trinity Sunday. Blessing comes out of Paul's mouth. We see it's highly Trinitarian. But now we've got to get down into the meat of it. And that is God predestining or electing some for salvation. And uh, friends, this is a most unpopular doctrine. And I think it's unpopular because people like to define God. They like to define what, what is good, what is right, what is just. Um, basically, the, the, the clay likes to question the potter. But let's actually go to the, the passage itself. It says this in verse 4. After, after blessing the Lord, it says, He chose us in Him, in Christ. He chose us before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us 
for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will and to the praise of his glorious grace. All right, so there you go, friends. Verse 4, it says, God chooses us. God chooses us. And really, there's, there's three possibilities, aren't there? Personally, I believe that. When the scripture says God chose us, I believe it. I'm a simple guy. It seems very clear to me. God chooses us. It's the heart of the gospel. When we're blind, naked, incapable of uh, doing good or doing right, we don't know our left hand from our right hand, God in his mercy uh, reveals who he is. God in his mercy gives us a gift called faith so that we can confess our sins, believe on the Lord Jesus, and be saved. But really, there's only three options. If a lot of you say, well, I don't like the fact that God chooses some and doesn't choose others. Um, so it raises the question, does God choose us to be his children? Does God choose us to be his children? Or do number two, second option would be, do we choose God? Like we choose God. Like he's kind of waiting for us until we decide whether we want him on our team or not. Kind of like a kickball game when you're a kid. Or the third, third option is, and we see this a lot in, I'll say, more progressive uh, denominations, they would say, yeah, well, God did, he did choose us, but he, he only chose us because he, he knew, he had foreknowledge, he knew that one day we would call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. One day we would move towards him, and knowing those facts, there, thereby he, he chose us. So what I want to tell you is the scripture seems crystal clear that God actually chooses us. We don't choose him. We are blind, we are naked, we are incapable of making a right choice. I've, I've heard it read and, and said of theologians that um, if, if God was just, he would allow everybody to do what they naturally would do. And what we naturally would do is always reject him all the time. Mm -hmm. Given the freedom to choose, if, if we had the freedom to choose God, all of us, every single one of us would reject God. We'd want to be our own God. And so... God in his mercy, God in his mercy helps those who cannot make a right choice. Um, and he does choose us. And he's not tied to choosing us because of something we do. Really, if you think about it, that's not gospel at all. That's basically just uh, pushing God off the throne and putting ourselves there, where God somehow becomes dependent on us and our actions and, and um, blah, blah, blah. So let's go on with that. Okay, so he chose us. Let's look at uh, some responses. Let's look in John 15. Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Mm -hmm. And so that's, friends, that's so clear that God chose us. God chose us. And while some people see that as a, a, an awful thing, or I, 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 most Christians would say it's actually very comforting. Mm -hmm. Right, Tim? And I want to do two other scriptures, and then let's get into application. Yeah, you bet. Okay, so the other one would be um, Isaiah 45, and it says, Woe to those who quarrel with their maker, those who are nothing but potsherds. And among the potsherds on the ground, does the clay say to the potter, Hey, what are you making? Um, does your work say the potter has no hands? Woe to the one who says to his father, Hey, what have you begotten? The key phrase here being, does the, does the clay speak to the potter? Mm -hmm. Right? And, and the obvious answer is no. No, we don't. Or the last one I want you to see real quickly is Romans 9, 11 through 16. Again, this is talking about God's sovereign choice. It's talking about that God actually chooses us. So let's go right to the scripture. 
It says Romans uh, 9, 11 and following. Before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, before they were born and had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purposes and election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told, the older child shall serve the younger. And as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Ooh, mm. that's a tough verse, Tim. It is. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Is God unjust for, for, for loving Jacob but hating Esau? For picking one and not picking the other? Is God unjust? Not at all, Paul says in Romans. Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And Tim, let's get into this because this is where people get derailed. Mm -hmm. And we don't have three hours to explain election and predestination. No, but at the heart, it seems incredibly cruel and what's the word like? God's being... um, Arbitrary, yeah, capricious, capricious. That's the word. Capricious. That's like the word you got from the Book of Common Prayer this morning. I love so much. Yes, wretchedness, ridiculous. Yes. Okay. So is God just being capricious? No, He's being merciful. So, uh, wow, He's being merciful. He is absolutely being. I mean, it it is mercy is His to show. And the the heart of this, what make what you guys, what makes this, what makes this either like your favorite thing in the world or your least favorite thing in the world is your understanding of the nature of man. If we if we accept, if we believe. Whether because we've seen it in ourselves, which is really where I would recommend you look, or we've seen it in the world around us, that that it is true that when we fell, when the world broke, it broke badly mm-hmm. in the entire world. And I, more to the point, that I was cast into a state of sin and misery, such that I would never choose Him. I would never come. To never. Him. Never. Not in incapable. A years, incapable. That I, that I won't. I simply won't. That the. That with the way that the Bible describes us is that we're slaves to sin. Yes. That we're blind. We cannot see the light of the gospel. We're dead in our transgressions and sins, right? If I'm dead, I'm blind, I'm deaf, I can't. And he overrides all of my badness and wakes me and shakes me and draws me to freedom. Yes. Then it's all of grace. It's all of mercy. Right, can I tag in right, right there? Of course. So yeah. Calvin, you know Calvin, right? Of Calvin. Course, sure. Calvin says this. He says, for we know that all of Adam's offspring is corrupted. All of Adam's offspring is corrupted and that we do not have the skill to think one good thought for doing well. And much less, therefore, are we able to commence to do good. Right. Although God should wait, even if God were to wait 100,000 years, Calvin says, if we could remain so long in the world, yet it is certain that we should never come to him or do anything else but increase the mischief continually to our own condemnation. That's right. Amen to and, Calvin. And, and if you don't believe that, then you're going to hate everything else that Paul has to say about this. It's just going to drive you out of your mind. But if you do believe that, then you're going to understand. This was my, my only hope, is that he would intervene and reach in and draw me from death to life. Personally, I didn't need anybody right. to tell me that I was totally depraved. Yeah, right? You know, I mean, we see it in the scriptures. Right. I didn't need, I didn't need somebody lives. yelling at me to tell me that. Yeah. You know, the Holy yeah. Spirit honestly just revealed it to me. And especially as I started reading the scriptures, before I was even a Christian, those scriptures were like holding a mirror up to me and I could see there's not, not much <laughs> good right. that dwells in here, a lot of ugliness right. and brokenness. Yeah. But let's look at, uh, just real quick, yeah. the total depravity and the fall of man. Yeah. Genesis 6, 5 says, The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the human heart was only evil all the time. And yeah. I realize this is before the flood, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, 
uh, saying we're not <laughs> human oh, nature really hadn't changed a whole lot. And that's far from we could, we could line up fifty passages about that. Yeah. yeah, Ephesians two one says we are yeah. dead in our transgressions. Yeah. Dead. Yeah. That means dead. Uh, John 6 says, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. That's right. And so we see here that man is in a hopeless, wretched condition. That's right. And, but God reaches into that and shows mercy where it's not, where it's not deserved, it's not warranted, and he rescues. So, he overrides, he draws us out of that slavery to sin into the freedom to walk with him. So there's, I have two questions. One yeah. is, um, and maybe it's more of a statement than a question, because a lot of people say, yeah. well, Tim, that's just not right. Yeah. That's just not fair. Who is God that he should say, have mercy on this person yeah. and say, hey, you're yeah. going to experience judgment? Yeah. yeah, well, you can read Romans 9 because that's the exact question of Romans 9, right? Right. Paul, what, what this argument plays out, Romans, so Ephesians 1, Romans 8, 9, 10 are two really strong places to see a great deal about this. Mm-hmm. And Paul gets into it and he's like, listen, who is God? Is that really your question? Who is God? He is the Lord. He made the world. He makes all things. And the fact that he redeems any is an act of grace that cost him, by the way, the, the crucifixion of his son. Oh, right. right. And, right. and so this week as I'm reading all these commentaries and getting buried in them, yeah. like, I feel like the Holy Spirit just absolutely whispered to me, for anybody that has a problem with God preordaining, predestining, electing um, some to become his children, though none deserved it, though all the wages right. of sin right. are death and justice would have been that yeah. all perish, yeah. what I would say to you is look what he did with himself. Right. Look what he did with yeah. God the Son. He preordained. There's actually a scripture I wrote down. Maybe I'll get it. But um, it's in the New Testament. It makes it very clear that this was the foreordained plan of the Father, that his son would, right. would be predestined to go to the cross right. and suffer That's as right. a criminal That's right. on our behalf. Amen. And yet, we can, and we can line up all the richness of the theology behind this. If you happen to love somebody who doesn't know Jesus, right? And as I do and as I... Some I, of my best I, friends right? are not believers. Then... If, when you love someone who is presently outside of the kingdom and, and you don't know if they will ever be partakers of the grace of God, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that's a heavy thing. It that's is. an overwhelmingly heavy thing. And so this isn't just, this isn't just some academic thing. We, 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 we throw ourselves on the mercy of God that he might show grace and extend mercy to those that are presently living in defiance of him. And the good news is he does that all the time. He does it all the time. Right? He's in the business of extending grace to unbelieving sinners to grant them faith and to draw them to repentance. Well, let's say for a moment that the scripture is true. And I just, actually believe it is instance, true. Let's just yeah. say that God actually does choose because none of us have the ability to choose him and yeah. we would never choose him. Yeah. So out of his mercy and grace, he decides to, to make some his children. Yeah. Um, so how is that good news for the rest, rest of the world? Well, and what does that say about the nature of God? Yeah, so that's that's a rough question, and the clock is ticking. So uh, the the overwhelming blessing and benefit, of course, is to the redeemed, right? right? Those those that are experienced His mercy. But God's goodness is seen both in His mercy and in His justice. And the scriptures do say that He will not allow people to remain indefinitely in this state. Mm. That He will His He glorifies Himself in His mercy, which is what we long for. This is why. By the way, let me say this. Let me say this, and then we'll because our clock is so running. Yes. Um, the, the, the primary application of this text is that we would praise him for his grace, right? So look at it. It says in verse, verse 6, to the praise mm-hmm. of his glorious grace. Mm-hmm. Verse 12, to the praise of his glory. Verse 13, to the praise of his glory. That the ultimate good of this is that we praise him for his grace, for his mercy, and he will be exalted for all of eternity for the, sh- for the granting of undeserved kindness to, re- to rebels. Right. But he is also justified in the demonstration of his justice. 
Amen. that he will punish all sin. And he's not embarrassed to do so. It is, it is good and right for him to punish sin. But we who haven't been punished for our sin but have found his mercy ex extol that all the more. And the reality is I don't know who's elect and who's not. It doesn't slow down Amen. evangelism at all. No. Not at all. No. In fact, it, some would say it actually gives you uh, more encouragement to evangelize because you know God has chosen some right. known only to him right. for salvation. That's right. And so he said, look, the fields are ripe for harvest. Get on it. Yes. Right? Yes. And, and the thing is, he, though he chooses us, it's also true that as a subsequent act, we choose him. Those of you that love and are like really challenged by the love your free will and you're challenged by this, I would say that if you think you had a free will before you knew Jesus, you're just, you're just mistaken in that. And that's okay. We can still be right. friends. But you, the Bible will never affirm that. It'll affirm that you are a slave to sin. But that once he overrode that and made you free... Then you did, in fact, actually and re really, freely choose him. He drew you out of that slavery and was irresistible to you. Sally uh, Lloyd-Jones, who wrote the Jesus Story yeah. Bible that, that everybody loves, she wrote yeah. another book, and I forget the name of it. But in it, she tells a story about a, uh, a man in the Civil War, who a, a white man in the Civil War who saw a, a little black girl being sold into slavery. And he went and he purchased her. He purchased her at the auction, auction block, and then he brought her. And he said, I've purchased you, and you are free. And she Amen. says, you mean I'm free? What? I mean, can I, I, can, I can say anything I want to say? He said, you can say anything you want to say. I can do anything I want to do. You can do anything you want to do. I can be anything I want to be. And he said, you can be anything you want to be. Hmm. And she said, and I can go anywhere I want to go. He said, you can go anywhere you want to go. And she said, then I will go with you. And isn't that the right answer? He it's draws us out beautiful. of our slavery into freedom, and then we spend that freedom pursuing the one who has given us every good thing. We choose him because he chose us. Amen. And the last thing I want to say, you know, it's kind of like if you were in an airplane. Yeah. Let's say you're in a Cessna today. You've taken two lessons, yeah. and now you're doing your flight, okay? You're up yeah. there. Hey, it's great. We're flying the airplane. What's the problem now, Tim? Got to land the thing. You got to land it. Yeah. Yeah, if you didn't study the landing part, it's going to be tough for you. So one of the things about election and predestination or God choosing us, um, the question is, why did he choose us? One, it's not because of anything good that resides in us. And it's not to yeah. puff us up so we can go, hey, we're the chosen. No. Yeah. What, do, what does it say right here in the text? It says yeah. in verse 4, he chose us before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. That's right. Okay, so, there, so election really... Um, or elected to something. To something, and yeah. there, there, there's fruit, and that God has a will and a purpose for our, for Him choosing us, that we That's should right. be holy and blameless, right, and to the praise of His glory. Mm -hmm. And so this yeah. whole idea of not um, evangelizing because of election, no way. Oh, yeah. And, and the whole idea Crazy. of being haughty, Paul the Christian the guy, should be the least haughty. Right, Paul's the guy who wrote the book on election, and he is the most fervent evangelist maybe in history, right? So, yeah, so we, this, this, this grips us, it changes us, because we're saved, according to Paul in 2 Timothy, we're saved and called to a holy life. He's elected me to be conformed to the image of his son. We've predestined us to look yes. like him. And so we're not, no, I mean, there is true that among people that embrace reformed doctrines, there does tend to be a haughtiness. That's a true right. charge. Um, but it ought be, a, a, it should humble us into a sense of our unworthiness in his grace that we might demonstrate that in acts of love and service to him and to right. the people that he loves. And, and the closing, closing statement is, uh, if you're in the sound of, 
if, if you have heard the gospel, if you're hearing it today mm. of what a great Savior he is, you, you might just be among the elect. So this whole thing of like, you know, you got a bad roll of the dice. I yeah. would say if you're hearing the gospel. If you want but, to be. Yes. Then that's an evidence that you are. Right. 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 Absolutely. So the bottom line is, let the Lord's name be praised. May he get the glory. Can we sing even like Paul who was in prison and say what a great God we have and how merciful he is. To the praise of his glorious amen grace. Amen and amen.